Advent is a church tradition that points to the coming Savior of the world. We don't want to miss him. We don't want to miss him. And this is a big theme that courses throughout the entire fabric of the Bible. You see, the typical encounter between God and man does not happen when man goes out looking for God, but rather when God comes to man. Advent is a tradition all about the coming of God to man. And man, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. Perhaps more than any other time of the year, Christmas is a time of traditions. At my house, we have our own little set of family traditions. Most of ours involve light. One thing that we do as a neighborhood is we all like Christmas trees and we put them out of the front of the street. So if you were to drive past my street tonight when the, when the lights went down, you would literally see two columns of trees that litter both sides of the road. It's beautiful, it's great, and it reminds us of Christmas time. Another tradition that I've been doing literally for about 20 years is that every Christmas I put a star up on the top of my roof. Now my wife, my wife Kristen, she hates this tradition. She hates this tradition because it reminds her of something bad that happened. You see, this one time, this one time I, I fell off the roof. Well, that's not how I tell the story. That's how she tells the story. She tells the story. She says that Nick fell off the roof. When I tell the story, it's a lot cooler, right? I say I got up on the roof. I started sliding down. The pine straw on my feet went out, and I started sliding. And man, in this great athletic move, I was very heroic. I was very athletic. I demonstrated very much self-control and great nimbleness. And at the very edge of the roof, I jumped. <laughs> well, while we can't, while we do disagree on how I exited the roof, we can't disagree on where I landed. Because you see, every time she gets in her car to drive around town, she has to look over this big dent that I put in her hood. <laughs> we do all love the lights, though, right? Lights are a big deal. They're a big theme in the Bible. It was God's first creation. A few days later, he strung some lights up in the vault of the skies, the sun, the moon, the stars. He made them. He did all these things. And then he made man. You see, he made all these things in preparation for the crown jewel of his creation, man. God has always desired to be with his people. In the garden, there were no barriers to God. We had free access to him. In fact, what was most holy in the world was most available to the world. God was with his people. We walked with him, we talked with him, but we rejected him. And so we were kicked out of the garden. We lost his presence. We were exiled to darkness. Now, no matter how hard we try, we can't get to God. We need some help. We need the light. To be with God, the light has got to come down and drive out the darkness. So when we say don't miss Christmas this year, we, need, we all need to know that Christmas would not be the same without the light. Church, think about it. You don't need light if there is no darkness. But just look at your heart. Is there hurt? Is there longing? Do you want something that you're just probably not going to get this Christmas? Is Christmas, has it become about the commercial and the consumption and all the consuming and the gifts and the wrapping paper? What's Christmas to you? Darkness, the world we live in, is filled with it. We need the hope that only the light can bring. And so we're reminded of when Christmas began. Christmas began in the dark, in a little place on the edge of nowhere called Bethlehem. 
an event that an angel actually reported as news, something that had happened to bring the coming birth of our Savior to present remembrance. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people because of the good news of his coming. Church, we can celebrate God's most significant movement in history, his gracious coming. We're in chapter 8 of John's gospel. Go ahead and turn to verse 12. We, I think we have it on the screen and we'll get it there. While you guys turn there, I want you to ask you to pause just real quick and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're the creator of all things and everything that you make is good. You are a good, good Father, yet we have rejected your goodness and darkness has invaded your land. But you loved us so much that while we ran, you sent your son to chase us down. You sent your son as a light into the world to light up the darkness. Father, and I ask you to send your spirit in this room. We know that he's hovering over this place because two or more are gathered in your name. Father, we trust your word and what it means to us. I pray that your spirit would come and give me power and boldness to speak, not of fear but of, or of timidity, but Lord of power. And I pray that your spirit would open eyes and hearts to see you, God, for who you are, a Savior. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. John chapter 8, we're starting at verse 12. We'll go to verse 20. Let's read. Again, Jesus spoke to the people, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What's going on here? What's Jesus saying? I am the light of the world. What is he saying? I think it's helpful for us as a family of God to look at where Jesus said this and when he said this because the where and the when point to what he's saying. Jesus is actually capturing. He's capturing a very important piece of a very important Jewish tradition to reveal his identity as the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world. So where does he say it? Verse 20 tells us, he says it in the treasury, in the temple. Jesus is standing in the court of women. It's also known as the treasury. It's inside a larger temple complex, which served as a visible reminder to the people that God desires to dwell with his people. But the closer you got to his presence, the more restricted the access became. You see, the temple had three courts, three main courts, and if you didn't have the right credentials, you couldn't progress closer to God. This is different from the garden. Remember in the garden, 
There were, no, there, there were no barriers to God. They had free access to his presence. What was most holy was most available to the people. But the temple, in the temple, there's all this red tape. There's all this red tape to get to God, all these layers, courts and curtains, all of these things that serve to insulate a holy God from a people who cannot stand in his presence. What is most holy was now most restricted. Let's look at the three courts real quick. The outermost court is called the court of the Gentiles. Literally, literally anybody could walk around there. The court of the Gentiles was the outside. Beyond the court of the Gentiles was the court of women. This is where Jesus was standing, and it's important to know that this, is, this was by far the most heavily populated area of the temple on the day when he said, I am the light of the world. That's the court of women. And then beyond the court of women was the court of priests. Only men, specifically only priests, could enter there. And the court of priests had some more red tape, three more little access zones. They had an outer courtyard where they performed sacrifices and where they purified themselves and cleansed themselves. Beyond the outer courtyard was the holy place. Now inside the holy place, there were no windows. There were no windows to let natural light in. But the first thing that you would have seen as you walked into the holy place would have been light. You would have looked over to your left and you would have seen the golden lampstand the lampstand resembled a tree, and it reminded the priests of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, that true life is found only in God's presence. So the lampstand represented the life that God gives his people. That's the holy place, and the lampstand was the only source of light that illuminated everything inside and everything that led to the next room, which was called the holiest of holies. The holiest of holies represented the very presence of God. And that place, for that reason, was by far the most restricted access zone. In fact, only one man could enter that room, and he could only do so on one day of the year. Very exclusive access to God. But all that red tape is behind Jesus when he makes his statement. And I love this. All that red tape is behind Jesus. Remember, he, he's in the court of women. The court of priests is back there. He's where all the people are. So when he says, I am the light of the world, what he's saying is that God's presence has come to be with his people, to tear down the barriers that stand between you and the Father. God has come to be with you. Now, let's look at when Jesus said this. He said this at a big tradition. I mentioned that earlier. It's called the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Over the years, this became a big celebration. It was a big tradition, and a major part of this tradition involved light. Now, it was interesting kind of when it happened, when this thing happened, this Feast of Tabernacles. It coincided with the autumn equinox, the time of the year when night and day are equal in length, and the time at which the nighttime darkness begins to overtake the light of day. Now, God had designed this feast as a, as a tradition for the people to remember how he led them out of slavery into the promised land. Leviticus 23, verses 42 and 43, God says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Does anyone remember how God led the people out of slavery into the freedom of his salvation? A 
cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, a light, a light of his presence that led them from slavery to salvation. And the people commemorated this most significant leading by a light that God did with a, very, with a cool light ceremony of their own that they called the illumination of the temple. You see, when the feast began, the people would light these great big candelabras, these basins that they would light with torches. They, would have, they were so big they had to climb up ladders to reach them. These big basins of fire, they would light them. But on the last day, they'd leave the main candelabra unlit. And they did this on purpose. They did this on purpose to remind everybody that they had not yet experienced full salvation because the Messiah had not yet come. Church, this is when Jesus makes the statement. This is the moment when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In the midst of this great light ceremony that reminded the people of how God led them to freedom from slavery by the light of his presence. And Jesus is about six months away from the cross. Traditions bring past events to present remembrance, and Christmas reminds us of the light of the world. But without the light, we live in darkness. That is why Jesus had to come. So today I want to point you to three things that the light does for us. First, the light leads us to Christmas. Second, the light exposes our need for Christmas. And third, the light illuminates the way beyond Christmas and to the Father. Let's look at verse 12. The light leads us to Christmas. Christ goes before us, and he just asks us to follow him. Just as God led the Israelites, he's doing so today. Are you following the light? I am the light of the world. A few things here. I am. This is God's divine name. I am. Jesus is calling attention to the self-existing eternal God of all creation. And that's, he said, that's who he says I am. He says, I am, I am. Right there, Jesus reveals his identity. He is God. He's saying, I'm the reason you're celebrating. You've come seeking God's presence and I provide it to you. I am the light of the world. Notice that he also says, I am the light. He doesn't say I'm a light among many lights. He says, I am the light. He declares himself to be the only way out of the dark. Jesus is the light. There are some very specific promises that point to the coming Messiah that involve light. I'll look at a few of them from Isaiah and a couple from the New Testament. Isaiah 9, verse 2 and 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. The Messiah is called a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's Isaiah 42. Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's Isaiah 49. Last week we looked at John chapter 1, where the apostle John talked about how, how Jesus is the light and the life. 
He said, in him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What about Psalm 27.1? The Lord is my light and my salvation. What about 1 John 1.5? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Church, you can see that light is synonymous with salvation and our Savior. Jesus is the light of the world, too, of the world. The light isn't reserved for one group of people. He's a light to the world, and the world is a dark place. Imagine how dark it would be without the light of the sun. Jesus says, follow the light. He's the light that leads to God. He's about movement. His light isn't one for us just to sit back and idly gaze upon. He's a light to our feet as well, not just our eyes only. And the movement of the disciple is in the following. So what's it look like to follow him? This is such a big deal that Jesus didn't leave us to guess. He told us very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Jesus called his disciples by the very name that he just took up here. He says, you, you are the light of the world. So his followers, they don't hide the light, but rather they let their light shine before others so that they may see their good works and give glory to God. I know a man in our church who's been following Jesus for a long time, a long time, and he called me up. See, he had heard that Kristen and I had taken my son to the Polar Express, and he wanted to hear how it went. Now, the Polar Express, one thing you got to know about my son is that he loves three things right now. He loves football, he loves trains, and he loves Christmas. So the Polar Express, like, it hits two out of his big three right now. He's been going on and on about it for months. He wants to drink hot chocolate every day. So this guy calls me up and wants to hear how it went for me. And, man, I started gushing. Man, I, I went on and on. And I got misty-eyed just talking about it, literally. I did. Just being able to, to reflect on the wonderful experience that Chris and I were to give my son. I got misty out telling him about it. And so this guy, this follower of Christ, starts doing some of his own homework. He starts doing his homework. He identifies a family in our church, a big family. He figures out when they might be able to come. And he bought them first class tickets. It's good work. That is a good work. <laughs> How am I have to be careful? Because it's such a good work, it brings mist to my eyes. Now, I love this church. I love this church. Good works are happening in this place. If you follow Christ, you don't have to worry about what a good work is. He'll show you. Christmas is about giving the light. You see, that follower of Christ, he took the, the light that was in my boy's eyes, the light of joy that the Polar Express gave to him, and he's spreading it to an entire family. That's a good work. Christmas is about giving the light. So take your instructions from Jesus. Those that do enjoy guidance in this life. They have a purpose in this life and they have a hope beyond this life. And this results in a different kind of life. You see, a believer will no longer live in darkness because he has Christ as his light to show him the right way. Apart from Christ, though, there is no guidance. There's no purpose. There's no hope for things to come. So where are you going? Asked a little different, who are you following? 
Jesus promises, whoever follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Don't miss Christmas. Follow the light that leads to the true meaning of Christmas. Secondly, verses 13 to 18, the light exposes our need for Christmas. Christ reveals the heart of unbelief. He exposes just how much we need him. That's what we see here in verse 13 as the Pharisees raise an objection to what Jesus had just said. Now they knew, these, these guys had studied the scriptures. They knew exactly what he was saying when he said, I'm the light of the world. They knew exactly what he said, and he w- they were challenging him on a technicality, on a legal point. They challenged him on a legal point. They said, you can't say that because we can't prove that it's true. Unbelief. They don't believe because they can't believe. They're spiritually blind. And this is the heart of unbelief, always seeking for answers and always seeking in the wrong places. But Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't compromise the truth. He says, I know. He's not uncertain. Jesus knows who he is and what he's come to do. He's the Savior, and he's come to light up the darkness. He says, I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you don't know either place. Where's he from? Where's Jesus from? He was born in Bethlehem, right? Luke 2.4, he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is saying to these guys, to these, these, these teachers, these leaders in, in the scriptures and in the law, the guys who knew these things better than anybody else, or at least they thought they did. He's telling these guys, you didn't even do your homework. It's kind of what he's telling them. You see, the Pharisees, they could have walked right across the way, gone and looked Jesus' name up in the temple records. They would have seen where he was from. And they wouldn't have seen just where he was from, but they'd have also seen where his parents came from. You see, the long way to Messiah, the long way to Savior of the world, was to come from Bethlehem and from the line of King David. Jesus checks both of those boxes. They missed him, and the evidence was right in front of them. Unbelief will do that to you. Jesus says, all you see is the outside, the external. You judge according to the flesh, and so your judgment is superficial, Their judgment can't be right because their method is all wrong. But he doesn't judge like them. Church, I love seeing a heart of generosity rise up in this place. And I especially love it when generosity extends beyond these walls. Recently, we had a party in our gym. Community groups from all over our church gathered to decorate some Christmas trees. And then they were going to give them out to some people who don't have trees. And then after the party, a couple days later, we put some water in them so the trees didn't die. But... A couple days later, a community group led by Nick Kaminer and his wife Amanda went out and delivered the trees. And they didn't care where the people came from either. In fact, we got a picture. We got a picture. This is really cool. That picture right there, you see that? That's a picture of a homeless man's compound way back in the woods. A homeless man's compound. And they say a picture says a thousand words. Well, this picture says that a guy with nothing now has something that might bring him joy this year. And that something points him to Christmas. The neat thing about generosity is that it creates more generosity. Of the 27 trees that were passed out that day, five of the beneficiaries came back to serve at our church at our next event, a Christmas party for foster children in Hines County. Generosity breeds generosity, and it knows no boundaries. Church, we all need Jesus, every one of us. Jesus tears down the barriers between us and God. 
And the only thing standing in between a Christian and God is Jesus. He brings the light of life to any who believe in him. So when you judge others, fight the urge to judge according to the outward appearance. Everyone needs Jesus no matter where we come from. So let me ask you a question. Where are you coming from? What's this season doing to you? Be honest. Is it stressing you out? Are you running around just crazy busy? Are you maxed out? Are you hopeless? What is Christmas season doing to you this year? I talked to a friend recently. He's kind of poking me. I love this guy. But he's poking fun a little bit at the sermon title. He said, Nick, don't miss Christmas. Don't, how can I? I got a Christmas party every day this week. I can't miss Christmas. <laughs> it's true. What's Christmas doing to you? If Christmas isn't sending you to Jesus, please, please slow down. Carve out some time. Miss one of the Christmas parties. It's okay. Carve out some time. Read an Advent devotional, anything that will help you think and reflect on the generosity of Christ. You see, the more you think on true generosity, the more generous you will become. The Pharisees celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles as a sign for what was to come, but they were so entrenched in their own tradition that they missed the very reason that they celebrated it. So take a look at your Christmas traditions. Are they pointing to the reason that we celebrate? Don't miss Christmas this year. Don't miss how much we all need him to come. Lastly, the light illuminates the way beyond Christmas and to the Father, verses 19 and 20. Christ shows us the full extent of the Father's love. Verse 19, the Pharisees respond to him. They say, where is your Father? This is playground talk, right? They say, again, prove it. Jesus doesn't stoop to their level, though. He doesn't trade insult for insult. He just tells the truth. Because the truth always divides. You either believe it or you don't. You see, Jesus is the revelation of the Father John 1, 18, Jesus made him known. John 14, verses 6 through 9, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is the root of their unbelief. They didn't know Christ. So they're incapable of seeing the Father. And this truth, this true point of our faith, cut these leaders to the core. You see, they prided themselves on knowing God. They thought they knew him better than everybody else. While they may have known some things about him, they didn't know him personally. They were blind, and they missed him when he was standing right in front of them. I mentioned a Christmas party for some foster kids earlier. And what a night that was last Thursday. If you were there, man, I think you will share and how blessed I was just to, be, just to be there. What a night that was. As I walked in, I started talking to uh, Dylan and Caitlin Hambick. And Caitlin comes up to me. She said, Nick, this is such a good night. I'm telling you, Nick, it's such a good night. It's so good that it's about to bring me to tears. Do you know what she saw? Do you know what Caitlin saw that was moving her to tears? She saw the church. She saw the people of God called out in love for others. She saw you in action together 
We were a light to the dark. We were the hope to the hopeless. We were the city on the hill that could not be hidden. And that night, the darkness did not overcome us. What a night that was. It was great. When I'm telling you it's great, I mean it was great. Introverts like my friend Alicia Haver doing crafts and having conversations. Extroverts like my buddy John Lasseter playing some ball with some neighborhood kids, blocking their shots and then talking smack to them. <laughs> Just like he would do when he blocks my shot. Nobody was treated differently. Everybody was family. We were the church. We were the light of the world. Then after all the fun and the food, we all went up sang some Christmas carols, and we talked about Jesus. And since he's not here, I'm going to talk about him. Our missions pastor, he's on a missions trip right now. That's what missions pastors are supposed to do, right? But Van, Van was the guy behind the curtain. If you don't know Van, please go meet him. He's a big dude, got an awesome beard. <laughs> meet the guy. <laughs> He'll bless you. That's his wife laughing there, too. Meet her, too, Emily. <laughs> But I'll go meet him. Van was the dude behind the curtain. He had a microphone. He was kind of telling everybody where to go, what to, where to be, where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. But you didn't really see him unless you kind of knew where you were looking. He was behind the scenes. That's what I love about Van. He was behind the scenes. He was kind of shining a light on some other people, letting them do their thing. And Van was literally behind the curtain when we read the Christmas story, the story of the birth of our Savior. And Van's oldest son, Asher... Only the son can see the father, right? Only Van's oldest son, Asher, sees his daddy's shoes underneath that curtain. And Asher gets up and he starts walking to the curtain. But before he gets to the curtain, his big daddy comes out from behind it. And he reaches down and he scoops up his baby boy and he holds him close. And right there in that moment, everybody in the room knew whose son he was. The son always reveals the love of the Father. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. A Father who loved us so much that He sent His Son to show us what it looks like. God is a pursuer. He's always been coming to His children. And believing in Jesus is the only way God's presence is made known to us. Jesus shows us who God is. And just how much the Father loves His children. The Father that wants to be with His children so much that He sent His Son to make it happen. Church, we can't see God if we can't first see the Savior. God is far too holy for us sinful people. We need help. We need the light to give us the help, to usher us into the presence of God. Jesus is the light that illuminates all things. When we see Him, we see a Savior. And then we see everything else. The better we get to know the light, the more clearly we can see past the dark and to the Father's love. So this Christmas, don't miss him this Christmas. Remember how much he loves, that he loved you so much that he came. You didn't buy him, you didn't earn him. You didn't stuff him in a box and wrap him with a bow and put him under your tree. You didn't know the right people, say the right things, or do the right things. He came despite all that. Traditions bring past events to present remembrance. And let this Christmas be the Christmas where we celebrate the love of Christ more than any other. Church, there was a time when we had free access to God. 
But we've all sinned and we've lost that right. Now we can't get there on our own. God's too holy. We're too dirty. He's too just. Somebody had to pay the price for the darkness of sin. Church, the light had to come. Jesus had to come. He had to come because the world's so dark. It's so bleak, it's so hopeless, it's so desperately in need of a Savior, and He has come. Jesus has come, the light has come into the world, and He's coming again to set things right forever, to forever drive out the darkness. In Jesus, we have a supreme hope. We have a hope for better things to come. No longer will our hope be restricted. No longer will there be restricted access zones by, marked by curtains and priestly status. No longer will there be barriers to God marked by ethnicity or socioeconomic status. Gender barriers. No longer will there be any barriers to the love of the Father. And so Jesus is not some additional experience, some add-on, some icing on the cake of the holiday calendar. He's the reason... He's the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious. We remember you specifically in your grace this time of year, Father. Thank you. While we sinned, you loved. While we sinned, you loved, Father. While we turned from you, you chased us down and you sent your Son to show us how deep the Father's love is for his children. Lord, this season where we celebrate the light, Lord, we're reminded of the darkness. We're reminded of how dark this place really is. We're reminded of how a guy in the church that meets in this building just before us was murdered last night. Darkness has invaded your land, Lord. So this year, when we celebrate the light, Lord, let us reflect on how bad we need him. Thank you, Father, for your grace, and thank you for a Savior. Thank you for Christ. Amen. Church, the gospel always invites a response. And maybe you don't think that you are good enough to receive the light, What can I tell you? That in a strange way, if you feel like you're not good enough, that you don't say the right things, that you don't pray enough, and maybe when you do pray, it doesn't sound too good or you know what really what to say. Can I tell you that in a weird way, that you're the purpose, you're the reason for Christmas. You're the reason that the light had to come. And I am so very thankful for that. So if this Christmas you you might need a little light, There'll be some of us down here praying for you. We would welcome, we're eager for the opportunity to pray for you. For everybody else, let's worship the coming Savior of the world.